We are now four weeks. Uh, this is kind of our fifth Sunday um, on this series that we're entering into. And we've been just kind of, purpose of this has been kind of to come off of our series through Judges, seeing how God's people are not to be living uh, how what it looks like when God's people are not seeing the Lord big. And we're coming off of that and asking the question, so what does it look like to live and see the Lord big? And uh, in fact, not just big, but big, bigger. And uh, just as a little bit of a reminder, we started four Sundays ago on our mission. We talked out of that, out of Ephesians 1, 2, and 4. Uh, in Christ, we are not to be a going to get people. Why? Uh, because we have, as we talked about. Ephesians chapter 1 talks about all that we have in Christ. And therefore, as a result of that, and this is key in where we're kind of moving with this series, we're not going to get people. If you are redeemed in Christ, you are a go-having people. We are to go-having uh, what the Lord has done in our lives. And that changes everything. We walk differently as a result of what we have in Christ. Then we started touching into a Noah, and every aspect of life matters. It's not just about going and walking uh, for the big glitz and glam items of life, the big and bold. We like that kind of stuff, especially here in our country. It enamors us. We look for it. We think that that's a walking in Christ is just for the, the big, bold, glam things. But instead, it's really about every moment, every day. Remember Noah, Genesis 6? Cut the tree down, haul it, place it, shape it for a hundred years. And the Lord was glorified in it all. And that gives us great hope in it. Every aspect of life matters. Then we went to Abraham. So not only do we go having in all of life, in every aspect of life, but we go having to see the Lord bigger and Abraham is asked to sacrifice his son. He's asked by the Lord to do that. And yet we went through taking a look at what's going on in Abraham's mind through that process. And he saw the Lord big. God was bigger than some crazy uh, uh, thinking that could go on his head on why should I do this? What's the reason for this? God's bigger than that. Uh, we have expectations of the Lord that are way too small. And we need to be reminded his thoughts are higher, his means are greater, his goals are superior, right? That's the reality. So in it, we go having in all of life with a big view of God. And then last Sunday was kind of the last setting the table for this series Sunday. We go also having a right view of life. This is not our playground. This is not it. This is not our home. The here and now cannot satisfy. It cannot satisfy. It cannot satisfy. We could just get story after story after story, story from my own life, from your life, of how we go to think that that'll make me happy, that'll satisfy me, and it never does. Because God created us with a desire to be satisfied in only Him. And in that reality, this life isn't it. But instead, this life is the opportunity for us to live out that He is bigger. So as we're pressing ahead, kind of setting the table with those things, it's now time for us to move into kind of some details, some, some, some more specific situations in life that come along the way. This Sunday, it's when he is bigger than my death. <laughs> Starting happy, right, in the details. Actually, uh, next Sunday is going to be when he's bigger than my fears. Uh, newsflash. Short of the uh, returning work of the Lord, um, everyone in this room will die one day. Short of the returning work of the Lord, everyone in this room will die one day. And here's the thing, that topic is kind of the topic upon which we don't speak of in our world and in our culture. But we're real here. One of the realities is if that's one of the realities of life, then we need to talk about it. We need to take a look at it, and so we're going to do that today. So let me actually begin by telling you what I'm not going to be directly addressing on this subject of death today. Uh, today is certainly not a full Bible study on the subject of death. It's just not. That's not what this is about today. It's not a time to talk about what it looks like after death. Just not going there today. It doesn't fit with what I'm trying to accomplish. 
It's also not a time to uh, talk about how to deal with grief in loss. Uh, that's not the goal of today. But by the way, all, what we talk about today will have aspect and fit into all of those. Uh, also, today is not about uh, uh, what kind of biblical view to have for an unsaved person. I, I'm just not going there uh, on this day today, but it speaks into that. Uh, what today's subject is directly addressing is how a redeemed in Christ person how a person that knows Christ as their Savior, how they are to be thinking about death in their life living now. Because it matters. Because it's part of life as we presently know it. And how actually a right view of death impacts how we go having now. Okay? Now, I'm going to add to that these two things, just so you really know kind of from my own heart where I'm coming. Two reasons behind some of this for me, why I'm bringing this topic to the table, is because over the years, I just again and again, I'm an, I'm an observer, just by nature, I am that way. Um, I am an observer, and over the years, I've observed God's people struggling when it comes to the idea of their death. And I understand that to a point as much as I can, but I'm saying it this way. There's been something in me in the years and over the decades where it's like we're not handling this well. We're not grabbing a hold of this. And the second thing along with that is honestly just when my dad died. When I was about 30 years old, my dad passed away from cancer. And in that, my dad went down fighting and fussing with the Lord. And my dad knew Christ as his Savior, no question about that. But I remember as a 30-year-old watching my dad go through this and just thinking in my head, not trying to be critical of my dad, but just thinking in my head, it shouldn't be like this. It shouldn't be to where it's like he was in a duke out with God. And um, I just let you know some of that is behind of what's today. I don't want to die like that. And I don't want us to die like that. Because, short of the returning work of the Lord, every one of us in this room will face death. So how do we look at it? How do we think about it? And by the way, how does God fit into it? I would say it this way. He is bigger than, and that changes everything. So here's what we're going to do. Along with this series, each, each Sunday that we're picking on a specific subject, uh, uh, next Sunday is going to be David and Goliath. This Sunday, we're going to be going and visiting four young men. And uh, turn your Bibles to Daniel chapter 1, please. Daniel chapter 1. We're going to be putting faces to this subject, so we just don't talk about it in a theoretical kind of a way. It's not like a didactic or a, a classroom kind of a conversation, but I want to put faces to these subjects because these are real subjects that we, real people, deal with and real people have. So here are four men. Um, I'm calling them as when they face death, three millennials and one seasoned saint in this, that we are going to see and take a look at them who each of them looked death in the face. And it's not about what happened then after, it's about going into it. That's kind of how I approached it with Joseph as well. So here we are, uh, Daniel chapter 1. Uh, we're going to take a look at this. And uh, one last thing before we go into it. One last thing here. Our Revelation series. Remember when we went through that? If you were here uh, through that, we talked about through Revelation how there's kind of three sections I broke it into. See Jesus, see the war, and see the coming victory. And I would tell you all of this is in the back of my mind, and I would encourage you to be in the back of your mind as we think through this whole subject. And even with these four men in the book of Daniel, it relates to us and it relates to them. And I say that because the war time, the, 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 the war zone of redemptive history, is the time zone in which they lived and we live. And so with that, we live in a war zone of redemptive history. We're to be seeing Jesus and we're to be seeing the coming victory. Know this, if you are in Christ, if you have received Christ in your Savior, as your Savior, you have every reason to hope. 
Okay, and we're going to see that and hopefully nail that here in a little while from God's word. But we are those players on the field that are playing during this time of redemptive history. And I don't know if you remember the picture of the stadium when you went through that. And it's like God's people are in the stands cheering us on, if you will. And we are on the lion lamb. He is our coach. And we're going through this life with this time. And I would just say this, see Jesus, see the victory while we live in this time of the war zone of redemptive history. Let me pray. God, I pray as we dive into your word here with these young men, this elderly man. Oh God, help us deal with a subject that for some are today, um, maybe even have the reality of seeing death because of some things going on, whether it's physically in their own life. Maybe for some are coming in, and this is a sensitive topic, just because of the loss of someone and still even grieving over that. God, I just pray that we would walk out of this subject knowing that you have conquered death. You have. Not will, have. You have provided for that to be the case. And we need to be reminded where this life right now that we live in fits in the reality of redemptive history. And in it, God, you have not only given us so many things of Ephesians 1 and 2, but in chapter 2 it says you have made us alive. And that's talking about forever. And God, we don't go to get Hope, we go having hope. We go having reassurance. And yet the reality is every one of us in this room know we are frail and weak. We need your help. And this is a subject that is hard to deal with, especially when we face it. So I ask you to help us, God. Would you help us, please, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Daniel chapter 1. Uh, Four young Israelite men, uh, they're likely here in chapter 1 in their mid-latter teens. Uh, Teens, this is you right here. Let's pick up verse 6. Let me give a little bit of background, just a couple verses here. Verse 6, chapter 1, it says, Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. They're Israelites. And the chief of the eunuchs, I could talk on that, uh, talking about how uh, they have more persecution than we may want to discuss, but um, they did, we'll leave it at that, gave them names. Daniel, he called Belshazzar, Hananiah, he called Shadrach, Mishael, he called uh, Meshach, and Azariah, Azariah, he called Abednego. Now, here's what's going on. The king of, uh, of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, had warred on the Israelites, and so they scattered the Israelites. It's kind of like there's no more Israelite nation. And so what they did in that time is they would go through as kind of prisoners of war, and they would go, they'd find the youngest, brightest, smartest, uh, best-looking, seriously, they would, best-looking Israelite prisoners, and they would take them captive, and they would then use them. They would not slaughter them. They would use them. They would uh, train them with things. That's kind of what's happening. So among these were these four guys. And here these four guys taken from their family and their country. I mean, so not fair, right? I mean, what teenagers are like, can you imagine literally just being yanked out of your family? Maybe there's some days you're like, that would sound like a great idea. But let me tell you, when it hits home and you're yanked out of that and you're taken somewhere else, and not only on top of that, part of what it's telling us here in the text, if you are given new names, in fact, the new names are each associated with the false god. So not only is your name changed, your location changed, your family changed, your whole life changed. It's like, I got got ripped off in all of that. Your name is being changed to something that you are totally against. And uh, we're learning that from the text. Man, this sounds so like Joseph from last Sunday. And that's why I followed this subject with it. Because so much of Joseph carries into here. Look at verse 8. But Daniel, in light of all this, resolved that he would not, what? Defile himself. And I think really we're going to find out this is all four of these, these teenagers. It's like, how cool is that? Sometimes even today I'm like, hey, where's the teenager men? 
The teenage young men that are committed to Christ. Listen, young men, we need you. We need you. And by the way, the teen girls need you, right, teen girls? Absolutely. We've got a bunch up down here. Speak it on, man. I'm fighting for you. All right? We need that in it. And so here's these four guys who are like, they are resolved that they will follow the Lord in a foreign place with foreign God names, ripped out of their family, taken away not by their choice, not even by their family's choice in this whole place. Uh, Again, so much like Joseph. Verse 17 Uh, As for the four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Don't forget that. Verse 18, and at the end of the time, and at the end of this time, there's more you can read on it uh, with some things. When the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, here these boys are in before the king of like the world. Verse 19, and the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every manner of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired him, he found them ten times better than all his own magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. Like ten times better than the adults. Love these guys. This is a real man. This is real young men living for the Lord when it's hard. When they've been put in a situation where they didn't ask for any of this. But they're standing for the Lord. So cool. But may I remind you this. This is the point where sometimes you can go, well, that sounds wonderful. Hey, they never ask for this. Don't lose sight of it. Even if it's like when God's with them. It's like, why wasn't God with them when they took him away? He was. But we don't like to grab those two. We think those two conflict. But God is up to something. Why? Because his thoughts are higher, his means are greater, and his goals are superior. And even when I don't understand it, here are like these guys, I submit to the Lord being that. Cool, cool guys. Well, chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And if you remember from what we just read so far, wasn't one of these guys like given an ability by God to interpret dreams? What was his name? Daniel. So Daniel has this ability to do that. So we're just going to skip it, summarize it. He has this dream. Daniel comes in. Daniel interprets the dream. It's really, really cool. Uh, the, the Nebuchadnezzar, by the way, Nebuchadnezzar who tore him out of his own home, away from his own family, gave him a pagan god name. Nebuchadnezzar promotes him. Um, boy, just being Daniel, trying to figure that one out. Uh, end of, towards the end of the chapter, verse 46, chapter 2, then, after Daniel interprets the dream, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his fate, paid, face, paid homage to Daniel, and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him, uh, just such a polytheistic, uh, a pagan way of thinking. Verse 47, the king answered and said to Daniel, truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings. And all God's people said... Amen. You could say amen. You could say rock on. Any of those would work. For you have been able to reveal this mystery. And then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him rule over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon, but Daniel remained at the king's court. Really cool, isn't it? But how many nights does Daniel in his mind go? I never asked for this. This is so unfair. I wonder what my family's doing. I wonder if they know I'm alive. I wonder if they are alive. Listen, friends, I'm pressing in the text as we go these to be real because we live real lives and we think real thoughts. And sometimes as it's talked about, it's like Daniel's in happy Disneyland. And I don't think so. I think he's still wrestling through things and yet God 
has shown himself mighty even in it. How confusing must that be? So that's the stage. Uh, Daniel's been in the forefront. Now we go to hear these, just a short part of these stories. Turn to chapter 3, look there. We're going to meet three millennials. Why do I say that? Because uh, now these guys are for sure in their 20s by this time. They're in their 20s. Three millennials face death. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 1. Let me read it. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So what's going on here? Well, what's going on is the king sets up this gigantic gold overlaid idol. It's 90 foot tall. It's out in the plain of Dura. The terminology plain means it's outside of the city. So how far out doesn't matter. I don't even know. There's discussion about exactly where it might have been. Doesn't matter. So he builds this gigantic 90 foot high thing. How big is that? Well, let, let's kind of take a look at a couple uh, here on to compare this. The, the one that you see on the right, this is uh, the statue of Sam Houston. Uh, this is in uh, Texas, Hunt, Huntville, Texas. It's 67 foot tall. He was a very big guy back in the 1800s with Texas and kind of getting them a part of the uh, United States with that. It doesn't matter who they are, but that's about the size there. You can see some people down there and kind of get an idea. It's 67 foot tall. Uh, the picture on the left is Our Lady of the Rockies in Butte, Montana. And by the way, I promise you, if Mary were back here, she would not be happy about that. Um, she would want it to be all about the Lord. Anyway, regardless of that, uh, it's 90 foot tall. I got a picture that's a little bit ways away from it so you could see that. This is then uh, another picture here to get an idea of how big 90 foot is. If you go down to the art museum, that's about 90 foot tall. Okay, so this is a tall thing. This isn't like, you know, a foot tall uh, the height of that building is the height of this golden overlaid idol that was made with that. And so all the vice presidents and the governors and associate governing leaders, they gathered to dedicate it. Look at verse 4. Verse 4. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and the electric guitar, and every kind of music... You are to fall down, worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up, and whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, and so on and so forth, and all the music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down, worshiped the golden image that the king had set up. Got the picture? What's going on? By the way, I'm bringing back the slide from uh, our first Sunday just to see how these guys walked, how they went ahead going having, okay? Um, So let me keep reading. Verse 8, therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward, maliciously accused the Jews, um, and they declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, oh, king, live forever. Uh, That's probably not going to happen, is it? Uh, No. Uh, Verse 10 Uh, You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the music shall fall down and worship the golden image, and whoever does not fall down and worship uh, shall be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews. Why is all this coming? This is politics. Friends, things do not change, right? So it's politics. That's totally what this is. Then it's like, oh, yeah, we're just reminding you, king, of what you put into place. Um, Oh, by the way... There are some certain Jews whom you have appointed uh, over the affairs of the province of Babylon, like, uh, oh yeah, their names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and um, these men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up, i.e., king, don't you think we got a problem here? Keep reading. Verse 13, then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, this idea of fury and rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, is it true? Good for him, asking questions. Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship uh, the golden image that I have set up? This is a personal thing, got it? This is a personal thing. 
Verse 15, now if you are ready when you hear the sound of the horn, the bagpipe, and the music to fall down and worship that I have made, well then good. How cool is this? He has so much respect for these guys that he's like, listen, uh, chance number two. Hey guys, maybe you didn't get the memo or just look into my eyes and understand this is a big deal to me. Listen, guys, when the whole band starts hitting it, down. Okay, you good with that, guys? Um... But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Hmm, I have a thought. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O King Nebuchadnezzar, man, um, we'll bow. No. Hey, friends, do you understand right here? Their life is on the line. This is no joke. The dude that is telling them, if you don't bow, burn you. And he doesn't want to do that. But they know, if they don't, over. These are guys in their 20s. They're in the prime of life. They've had actually a very successful life to this point. Uh, if you want to look at it, taking out the whole unfair thing of being taken from their family. But they are really in the prime of what's going on. Their career, man, these guys' career is at it. They probably are smoking hot studs, okay? I'm not a girl. I'm just trying to help, okay, with that whole thing in it. But I say that because of what's been picked. These are smart guys. These are intelligent guys. And I'm telling you, in that day, they would pick. You could be smart and intelligent, but if you weren't good looking, you didn't make the cut. So these are six-pack abs, super smart guys. And these guys are no dummies. And they know right now they have a choice. Lay it on the line and die or not. What would be some options for them? There's just a couple I wrote down. They could be thinking, you know what? This is just a stupid statue. I mean, come on, we all know it's a stupid statue, right? There's no life in this whole thing. We'll just do it. By the way, only the legalists, the fundamentalists will get mad. And who cares about them? They could also be thinking, uh, if we're taken out, I mean, who's going to be available to proclaim Jesus, using modern-day terms, to proclaim Jesus to these people? And they need Jesus, and if we're taken out, how's that going to happen? Hmm. I mean, everyone's doing it, and everyone knows this is just a political, polytheistic, small-g joke God thing. Just do it. Everybody thinks it's dorky. Could have thought that. Or they could have thought, you know what? Yahweh's pretty much given us a raw deal anyway. So why should we get one more raw deal? True? I think all humanly logical thoughts. And what are they going to do? Oh, Nebuchadnezzar. We have no need to answer you in this matter. And I, by the way, I think they did this kindly and respectfully. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. By the way, do you see what they're thinking? They're like, hey, our, our, God, our God can make us live through this whole thing. I've got to tell you, folks, I don't know if I would be thinking that. But it's the next verse that is critical. But if not, you see that? That's huge. In other words, uh, respectfully, king, we serve a God whom we believe is big enough who can save us out of this whole fiery thing. But if not, if he in his sovereignty chooses not, if he in his sovereignty chooses to allow us, the one who could save us from burning, allows us to, just like in the cartoons, just flame up and disintegrate. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods and worship the golden image that you have set up. Hey, millennials, 
men and women like that. Hey, over millennials, older than millennials, men and women like that, right? Hey, teens, men and women like that. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In other words, he loved these guys. He had the highest respect for these guys. And all of a sudden, it's like, you are now defying my authority. And he ordered the furnace heated seven times more hot. And they laid it on the line. So what's the rest of the story? doesn't matter for today. If you know the rest of the story, awesome. If you don't, read it. But know this. They were willing to lay their life on the line, full out, fried to smithers. What's going on in their head that causes them to do that? Well, hang on. We'll uh, go there in just a second. One seasoned saint turned to Daniel 6. Daniel 6. There were four of these guys in the beginning of the story, and we moved to Daniel 6. Daniel 6, you need to know this, um, Daniel is 80 years old. How old? So uh, he's old. And if you're older than 80, I love you. <laughs> but I think we would all agree that's old, right? And it's, I could say it's getting younger, but it's old. It just, I'm getting older. It's just a fact. What's going on? Darius is king. Uh, the governing structure is there's 120 governors and there are three presidents associated out. By the way, Daniel is one of the presidents. Can you believe that? At 80, one of the presidents, that highly respected. Look at verse 3, chapter 6. Then this Daniel began, uh, became uh, distinguished above all the other presidents and governors, a type of governor, because uh, all an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. And then the presidents and the other governors, types of governors, sought to find a ground for complaint, accusation against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found. Hey, listen, friends, we're right now in a presidential election, if you don't know that. And uh, they're like digging trash, right? And we've got two candidates. Hey, I'm just not going there. We've got two candidates right now, and they're older, and they're digging trash from the past. True? It's no different. You know, it's like, this has never happened before. Yes, it has. Happened Daniel 6. They're digging it back in all their trash, trying to find anything. And can you imagine they come out and they find with this guy who's 80 years old, they can't find a licking thing to accuse this guy, both against his positioning, his, his character. Uh, 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 it's just stunning to me. Every one of us has stuff in our background, and I'm sure Daniel does in certain ways, but at the same time, I read the text and I'm like, no, he doesn't. This is a man who has been walking faithfully, day in, day out for now, let's say, uh, uh, some 60 years post uh, that we know about uh, having come into Babylon. Incredible, just a sweet, incredible man. Verse 6, uh, then these presidents and governor types came uh, by agreement to the king, and well, this sounds familiar, and they said to him, O King Darius, live forever. Yeah, it ain't going to happen. Uh, all the presidents of the kingdom and, and prefects and the, the other types of governors, the counselors and the other types of governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petitions or whoever makes prayers that any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Why are they doing this? Because politics hasn't changed. O king shall be cast in the den. Now, O king, uh, verse 8, establish the injunction, sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. They knew that Daniel prayed every day. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. Verse 10, when Daniel, understand, one of the three presidents 
When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper open chamber toward Jerusalem. Tells you so much. At 80, he still is longing for his home. He's not gotten over it. There's so much there. And he got down on his knees three times a day and chewed God out. No, and he prayed. And look at this. And gave thanks. Gave thanks. He gave thanks after being taken away by these pagan people, given a pagan name, all this time, living the way he's been living in it, and now he just finds out he's been duped, governing politic-wise, and now what does he do? He gives God thanks. I would think, once again, that would be every reason to go, God, you fill in the blank. And yet he gives thanks By the way, he gives thanks before his God as he had previously done. And these men came by agreement, found Daniel making petition and plea before his God, making prayers before his God. Gee, I'm sure they're surprised by that. And by the way, Daniel knew they would. And then they came near and, and said before the king concerning the injunction, O oh, king, did you not sign an injunction? That anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. And the king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law and the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. And then they answered, Bada bing. That's in Hebrew. And said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you. Oh yeah, I know him. He's one of my three presidents. O king, or injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed. Why was he distressed? And he set his mind to deliver Daniel. How cool is that? Why was he distressed? Was he distressed because he broke his code? No, he was distressed because he loved Daniel. He was so helpful and such a man of character and quality. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Verse 15, then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Now, O king, that is a law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance of the king establishes can be changed. I don't know. This just gives you an idea of how word back, your word back then means so much different than now. You cannot change your word. I can too because I am King Pharaoh. No, he couldn't. Wow, things have changed. Verse 16, and then the king commanded, and Daniel was bought, cast into the den of lions, and then the king declared to Daniel, oh, Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. I wonder what happened. It doesn't matter for a conversation today. It doesn't matter. Oh, but Doug, I know that it ends up turning out well that the Lord... Uh, puts a noose on the lion's mouth, if you will, and uh, they don't eat him, and he comes out, and, and it turns out well for him. And by the way, Doug, I also know that, you know, in the whole fiery furnace thing, that, that they, they didn't even get a singe on their clothing, and, and God saved them. And, and by the way, Doug, Joseph, it all ended up pretty well for him. And by the way, for Abraham, it kind of ended up pretty well for him. And Noah, he got to ride on an archiarchy. Uh, <laughs> let, me, let me bring some perspective in, and I mean this very seriously. But it didn't end up so well for Abel, who's offering his worship to the Lord. Didn't end up so well for Zechariah, for John the Baptizer, or for Stephen, or for 11 of the disciples. It didn't end up so well for James. By the way, we are told in Revelation that there is a host of of martyrs in heaven. William Tyndale, 1535. Noose put around his neck. Pulled, died, and burned in public. 
Jim Elliott. Four others. 1956. Killed by the Aka Indians. Whom he was going to share Christ with. It didn't end up so well. For them. Listen. Three millennials in one seasoned saint were willing to lay their earthly lives on the table. Why? How? Let's just finish a couple minutes. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. How is it that they did this? How could they see life and death the way it was in the prime of their career as 20-year-olds and lay it on the line? Who cares? Take my life. It's irrelevant. How is it that an 80-year-old guy just doesn't like cave in and go, I'm old, you know, it's just my time. No, no, no. How is it that he's just ready to stand his ground and give thanks unto the Lord? How can people do it? I would say it this way. They understood that they were camped. They understood that they were camping. What do I mean by that? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, just a few verses here. Look at this. This is huge, you guys. For we know, not wonder, not hope, not think, not wish, for we know that if the tent, which is our earthly home, pause. What's the tent? Okay, like tents in this room. There's like over 300 tents in this room right now. Got the picture? You are a tent. I am a tent. For we know that if the tent, which is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house, a brick house. We'll go there. (laughs) We have a house. Know this. We are a tent. If you know Christ as your Savior, you have a house house, not a tent house, a house house, not a tiny house, a house. But we live in a in a tent. By the way, the house is not made with hands. Tents are made with hands nowadays, like the ones on the screen, made with hands. But your house, if you know Christ is your Savior, your house is not made with hands. Your, hands, your house is made with his hands. It's a crazy cool house. By the way, it's not made with hands. It's eternal in the heavens. Tents are not eternal. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, do we? If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked, for while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God the Father, who has given us the Spirit as the guarantee. And by the way, Christ, the second person of the Trinity, is the one who paid the price. Verse 6, so we are always of good courage. Oh, maybe that's why Daniel could give thanks. Because he knew he lived in an 80-year-old tent. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith. That's going back to the first Sunday of this series. Not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body, the tent, and at home with the Lord in our house. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim. To please him, four lines, line number one. I presently reside in a tent, but I know I have a home. If there has been a time in your life where you have come and received Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'm not talking about you know about God, you could tell the whole gospel story. I'm talking about a time where you've come to realize that you have, are a sinner, as Scripture says, separated from God and in need of a Savior, and there is only one Savior, and you have received that Savior. And I'm not saying you just like for that week or that moment or that like little golden ticket thing, but I'm talking about like driven the stake in the ground. Listen, Lord, I'm tired of this. I need a Savior, and I want to walk after you. Listen, if that's you, know this. This is a tent. 
that you have a home. And I just got to tell you, I like camping. But I love going home. By the way, tents are flimsy. Also, tents are easily crushed. Get a rainstorm? Yeah, don't want to be in a tent. Bolt of lightning, hail, attacked by someone? They tear, they leak. Tents don't last forever. Friends, we are tent dwellers in the war zone of redemptive history. We are tent dwellers in this war zone of redemptive history. And no matter how amazing your present tent is, I'm telling you, no matter how six-pack ab your tent is, it is not a house. But I love my tent, but it's not a house. But it's my home. No, it's a tent home. It's not a house. But I think of my tent as my house. Now we see the problem. Line number two. So in this tent I groan, I long, and I am burdened. Did you see that in the text? I just ask, do you? Do I? Do we groan? Not just in this life as it presently is, but I'm talking about groaning and longing and being burdened that we would, that this mortal tent would be swallowed up and we would be at home. Line three. But I have been prepared by God and guaranteed by the Spirit. How cool is that? Note the past tense of the text. Have been. You have been prepared. You have been guaranteed. How have I been prepared? (laughs) Everything we talked on uh, four Sundays ago. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 2. You have been made alive, seated with Christ. That's already not yet. We're in a tent right now. But the fact of the matter is it's real. It's true. It's a fact. And out of this tent means all that to its full fruition. You are prepared, and you are guaranteed, but I don't feel like it. I understand that. Trust me, I understand that. I just want to die quick. I want no pain, right? That's the way to die. But even, I get the whole thing, but prepared and guaranteed. Line number four, so I am of good courage from the text, and I walk by faith, aiming to please him. So in light of the fact of looking towards our home, groaning for our home, knowing that we've been prepared and guaranteed for our home, I still am in a tent. So in this tent, I am of good courage. Why? Because this tent is not my home. And in this tent, I walk by faith, aiming to please him. By the way, in the text, verse 6, it says, so. In other words, as a result of, in response to. It says, of good courage. It's a confident courage. It's coming out being prepared. It's not a cocky courage. It's a confident courage in what we know. Twice now, the text used the word know. Verse 1 and verse 6. We know, we know. And it's out of that that we have good courage. It doesn't mean that we, have a, we don't have hard times. We do have hard times. We wrestle with it all at times. Listen, I'm not trying to be fake and all. I'm trying to be as real as possible. And listen, I haven't faced death yet. A little while ago, early in the year, straight up with you, they thought I had possibly had some mild uh, heart stuff going on with it. And I got to tell you, it messes with your head. And I get that. But at the same time, truth trumps the reality that I face. And the fact is, is I live in a tent now, but I have a home, guaranteed. I walk by faith, and that's why three millennials could say, go ahead. If my God chooses to save me out of your stupid little fire, bowing down to your stupid little God, if he saves me out of that, awesome. But you know what? If he lets me burn up in there, awesome. 
because I have a home. And frankly, better there than here. That's why an 80-year-old man could say, throw me to the lions. I got to tell you, friends, there's a lot of things that would scare me. That's on the top of the list. Sharks right over the top of that one. (laughs) Does this mean we will never struggle with our death? No. No. But faith is the working out of that. Next week we're going to be working some more with that. Listen. If the Lord chooses to have us live in this tent for whatever season of time, awesome. Awesome. We go walking. We go walking in Him. But if the Lord throws a loop in our system of thinking, young or old, and death is on the line, We have hope. It doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean we don't struggle. But together, tents on a mountaintop together, help each other live in our present tentness. And when one tent's going out, the other tents come around and remind that tent You have a home. And if you know Christ as your Savior, you have a home. So, Lord, I'm going to leave it there. And I'm going to have you do a work of encouragement, I trust, a work of pressing into as you see fit. And, Lord, with it, I'm just going to finish our time with reading some of your words from Scripture. Romans 14.8 If we live, we live to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Stephen, Acts 7, declares at his stoning, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father. Lord, receive my spirit. Paul, Philippians 1. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain, which I shall choose I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Revelation 12. And they have conquered the dragon by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Daniel 3. O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, but if not, Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And Lord, I finish with this. What a precious verse. Psalm 116.15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. You are bigger than our death.